Alrighty, just wrapped up doing another discussion this time on how Colorado's snowpack for the 2018-2019 winter may affect distribution of elk on the landscape this fall and whether or not it may impact rut timing in certain areas. So if that interests you, well, take a listen. So let us talk about how this year's snowpack, at least in Colorado, all right, I am familiar with a bunch of what is going on in Colorado. This may uh, translate into what some of you are seeing in Utah. Maybe it'll translate into some of what you guys are seeing in uh, Wyoming. I don't know. But I know for Colorado, the, the question that came in, and this is from a pile of people, all right? So I don't need to, to say, goodness gracious, I don't need to call out individuals because it would be a whole list of people because there's just been a pile of people that have asked this question. And I have got something in my eye. It's got to be an eyelash or something. You ever had that? You got an eyelash or something just floating out there, and it just seems like you got some, you know, this finger floating around in your eye. I thought it was on something on my glasses, but it's not. My glasses are fine, so I've got to have an eyelash or something driving me absolutely nuts. Sorry about that. All right, so the question being is Colorado this past year had 200, 300, 400% snowpack across most of the mountains from, I mean, this was the first year. Let's just put it this way the first year in many 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 years where it literally the entire state every square foot of the state of Colorado is out of drought there's not a single square foot of Colorado that is below its moisture norm what it should be all right that hasn't happened in a long long time there's been so much, there was so much snowpack all winter. And then we had an extended, drawn out spring full of periodic snows across the state that it just kept that snowpack lingering, excuse me, all the way into summer to where now there are many places in the mountains that are still packed with feet of snow. It's not unlike what happened in the winter of 2011-2012. Same thing. We had several hundred percent more snowpack than we normally had. Now, when you're doing snow snowpack, and really the snow water equivalent, so how much moisture is in that snowpack? Is it a light, fluffy, dry snow, or is it a heavy, wet, snow is there a lot of moisture in that snow the snow water equivalent and the snow pack itself has been extremely high and it's just carried right on through into the summer all right well i talk about and i well in if you okay let me take a step back i forgot to mention this before as we get going all right to I think it would behoove each of you, before you watch this whole thing, go back and watch the entire Rethinking the Rut series, okay? 
because I think you will find a bunch of the information in there is going to be helpful, and we're going to touch on some of the things here that may be related to some of that, all right? So I'm not going to dive into all the things that uh, about rethinking the rut. Go back and review that on your own. However, there are going to be some things in this discussion that are going to overlap, so for what it's worth. So <clears throat> I have talked about in the past the 2011 and 2012 years and the changes that we saw on the landscape uh, and how it affected elk. But here we are again in a similar situation. And so people have asked, a bunch of people have asked, especially for those that, had, that you know, maybe they weren't even, and one of the questions came in, they weren't even elk hunting. They just started elk hunting not too long ago, and so they were not elk hunting, period, uh, in 2011, 2012. Some people just moved to Colorado, so they have no history of what went on back then. And so this is all brand spanking new for them, and that may be the case for you as well. So here we go. But when folks ask, how is the snowpack going to affect the elk? Really, that question can be presented one or two, one, one of two different ways, or maybe both ways. One, how is it going to affect the rut and rut timing, maybe rut intensity? <clears throat> Excuse me, rut intensity. And then the other one is, is how is it going to affect elk from a distribution standpoint? location across the landscape now this is not going to be a full-on video on how to find elk that's got to come later that's a that's a gargantuan discussion in itself however for those of you that are watching and listening to this that are interested in that upcoming video that send me questions on how do I even just go about finding elk on the landscape how do I pick an area to hunt and how do I go and find elk and, and actually get into them to, to utilize all the stuff that you learn on the website there are going to be some nuggets of information in here that is going to be that are going to be quite relevant to that question for you, and so pay attention and just tuck that back, you know, tuck it away in the back pocket of your brain somewhere for the future discussion of, okay, let's start from the ground up. How do how do I go about finding elk in a new area or picking a new area and just going in and, and finding elk? Okay, so we're not going to dive into all those details, but we are going to touch on a couple of things. All right, so let's tackle both of those questions in this discussion, but let's tackle them separately because although, well, we'll tackle them separately because I believe the distribution question can actually set itself, set it can set up the situation where it may affect the rut. So it's kind of an indirect, it may be a direct or an indirect effect that could affect rut timing and, and uh, cycling of cows. All right, and so we'll touch on both of those, but we'll handle them separately. So because distribute, excuse me, because distribution may affect the rut, let's start there first. All right, so first and foremost, we have to understand that 
not all elk areas are created equal. All right, there are some of you that are going to be hunting low elevation areas. There are some of you going to be hunting the highest of the highs in the backcountry areas. There's some people that are going to be hunting stuff in between, all right? Especially for Colorado, but across the West, there are a variety of very productive elk habitats across the landscape. Not all areas are going to be created equal, all right? Just because it, if one area is delayed because of snowpack does not necessarily mean another one. If we know say a certain mountain range and wilderness area has got four feet of snow in the in the alpine basins right now and it's restricting access to feed for some elk well that doesn't necessarily mean that's the same thing down at you know seven thousand feet or eight thousand feet in the ponderosa pines aspens nine thousand feet on a south-facing slope all right so number one not all areas are created equal and you need to, to pay attention of what the type of habitats are that, that you're hunting in. Are you hunting generally lower elevation? Or are you planning on a backcountry, a high elevation style hunt? The vast majority of effects on elk distribution and later on the rut are going to be much more realized they're going to be much heavier and much more there's going to be much more of an impact on the high country high elevation backcountry type wilderness type settings 11,000 12,000 13,000 foot habitats where elk want to summer and where you may end up finding them during September during the rut all right so as we start let me just touch on real quick the low elevation habitats, because I think we can we can knock those out pretty darn quick. When you pile in all that snowpack, just like we talked about in the previous video with antler cycles and growth, if there was plenty of feed going into the winter, meaning there was a lot of food on the landscape, a lot of the snowpack and snow water equivalent calculations were based on it was 200% of snowpack at this point during the year meaning if we started getting into January, February and March and we were 200 or 300% snowpack we were 300% more than normal doesn't mean we had 30 feet of snow Maybe we only had three feet of snow in, a, in some places, but that's, on an average year, there should be only one foot of snow on the landscape. Does that make sense? So it's based off of, a, I think, if, if I remember right, a 10-year average, something like that. So just because it was 300% above normal, and, and when you're looking at those charts and it says, you know, it, it shows the different colors and the different basins and the different drainages. You need to pay attention to that and understand when you see the map of Colorado and it's lumped out in these big polygons and different colors of this one's 400% and, and this polygon is, is 300% and this one's 200 and this is 250 or whatever. They are lumping those out according to drainages. So, for instance... The Arkansas River drainage. 
Yes, the Arkansas River flows out of southeast Colorado, and it flows out across the eastern plains of Colorado. But that water starts way up high in the tippy tops of the mountains and then trickles down into little creeks, streams, tributaries, and then dumps into the river and flows out. So when they're talking about this drainage is 300% above normal snowpack, understand that it doesn't necessarily mean that the low elevation areas are buried and just absolutely you know, covered up in snow. It very well may mean, and it could be, that the high elevation areas are absolutely buried in snow, but your low elevations are normal. Between the two, you're above normal, okay? You're certain percentage points above normal, but your low elevation areas are fine. They're normal, all right? Does that make sense? So it's across the entire drainage. And if you look at some of like the Colorado River Basin, that is a gargantuan chunk of the map in Colorado. It encompasses a ton of high elevation, high mountain peaks, wilderness areas across a vast amount of area. And so, yes, it makes sense that you see that map and it says, it's 300 or 400, 200, whatever the number is. It's, it's well above average. But again, that Colorado River, River flows out of the western side of Colorado down through, through some low, dry, just bleh, I, just dry, dusty, rocky, dirty terrain. Doesn't mean that down there it has three times the amount of snow that it normally has. It just means that the drainage, the entire compass, the average across that drainage and the water it's holding is more than average. Oftentimes, it is because it's the higher elevation areas that are holding so much snow and so much water. All right? So if you're talking about hunting in low elevation areas or mid-range areas, you very well may see zero impact whatsoever on distribution, movement, body condition, anything. It may look like a normal year other than the fact that you may find that you've got a lot of grass around. It's green and there's water everywhere. Awesome. But it wasn't a late winter. The animals were fine. They could go wherever they wanted to go. They had plenty of food. They weren't stressed. Yada, yada, yada. All right. So low elevation areas oftentimes are going to be less affected by prolonged winter or heavy snows, all right? Now, with that said, the other thing that's nice about that is oftentimes mountainous elk are migratory and they are dropping down in elevation to go to their winter range. Depending on where you are and where you're hunting and what elk herd you are hunting and the terrain and habitats in that area, you are going to see differences in how far down the mountain elk can go from their summer range to their winter range. Again, some of the places on the western slope, those elk may summer at 13,000 feet. But come winter, 
they're all the way down below 10,000. They're at 9,000 or 8,000 or 7,000 feet. They're down low. They're out of all that snow. They're out of the bulk of the snow. Again, if you had adequate food production, grass production in the fall, summer and fall prior, and their winter range has just a pile of food on it, again, you may not see very much in the way of difference in body condition, difference in uh, cow-calf ratios, or whether the cows were, you know, there may not have been any stress on those animals whatsoever. The issue is, where do those animals go to calve and spend the summer, right? And then the bulls, where do they go off to spend the summer on their own? It's the highly migratory animals that spend their summer months, generally speaking, above tree line, above 11,000, 12,000 feet, so to speak. It's those animals in those habitats that typically are going to have the potential, doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to, but it, it's those animals that have the potential to be impacted by deep snow that stays on the mountain for prolonged periods of time well on into the early summer if it, or mid to late summer even. In 2011 and 2012, one of my, the, what I called my high country camp for years, I had one particular area that I considered my high country camp. My tent sat at 12,000 feet. I hiked up and over just shy of 13,000 feet to get into the basin I typically hunted. That basin normally would hold anywhere from 50 to 150 elk, cows and calves, maybe a full, you know, handful of younger age class bulls, those two and a half year old bulls that um, still need the safety blanket of the cow-calf group. Let's just say it would hold 100 elk normally in July because it was one of the other areas that I worked in the Upper Eagle River elk study and we'd go up there in July in August and camp and just sit and look at this green Serengeti full of animals in, 2000, in the winter of 2011-2012 there was so much snow and it lingered in the high country similar to this year that one of the primary summer areas, primary summer basins up there, had four foot of snow across 90% of it in early August. The animals never even made it back there. Because when you got down into the timber, the timber still had five to ten feet of snow drifted in under the trees. There were places where elk could not even get back to. And this year, I think some of you may see that same thing as well. Now, again, not all areas are created equal. So, what I mean by that, if you are hunting 11,000, and, and, and I don't even know if you really want to cut I'm I'm going to exclude 10,000 and under because 10,000 and under you should be fine. Yes, they may have been a little bit delayed getting there, but 
let's let's just say we're going to go from 11,000 and above, okay? Just arbitrarily, we're going to go 11,000 above because I think we still could see some effects at that tree line, upper tree line um, ecotone, that that forest type. You start getting up 11,000 feet towards the, the um, 10, 5, 11, maybe push it 11, 5, you can get in that spruce fir pine community, Engelman spruce, um, really dense, thick timber that can, a lot of blowdowns that can hold a lot of snow and it just becomes a nightmare to try to get through. All right. Now, if you're hunting in those areas, what you see in a basin that generally lies maybe on the north, the basin you're hunting, the bulk of the area that you access through, that the elk move through, that the elk bed in, the elk stage in, and then the slopes that the elk utilize in the summer. If that generally lies more north-facing, you may find a piss pile of snow and a just an absolute void of elk. Whereas, either on the other side of that in that same basin or in an adjacent basin complex. If the animals are traveling through, bedding in, staging in, and utilizing the alpine terrain that generally faces more southerly or maybe southwest or westerly, you may find that there's very little snow in those places right now. Or enough of the snow has melted to where there is good connectivity all the way up into the Alpine basins. They may, it may be a patchwork of snow still, but kind of like picking your way through a maze, you can get there versus the other side of the mountain in that more northerly facing or northeast or easterly facing slopes and oriented basin. It just may be choked out with snow and you can't get there. You need to really assess your area specifically to determine whether or not you see an effect where you are hunting. Not all areas are created equal. Some areas of the state got more snow than others. Even though every area of the state was above average, most of it 200 plus, at this point, middle of July, the areas that were 200 plus percent snowpack probably have the bulk of their snow gone. There still may be a lot of snow there, but the bulk of it is gone versus you go into that area that has 400 plus percent snowpack, okay, it may be still holding a bunch. Not all areas are created equal. So you really need to take a look at it, all right? Take a look at the maps. Take a look at what what the snowpack or what the snow water equivalent or what the, the moisture potential is for each of those basins, okay? Get on Google Earth 
and take a look at just if you get on Google Earth, most Google Earth apps, if you get on your, your desktop, you can lay that thing down. You can orient it to where you lay that image down where you're hunting. You can just kind of lay it at an angle. Lay it at an angle and look out how that base and how that mountain lays. You, up in the upper right-hand corner of Google Earth, you, there's a little dial. That's where you lay it down, and you can orient it however you want, but you can also rotate that left and right, north, south, east. You can look from different angles. Rotate that. There's a dial in the upper right-hand corner. Rotate that dial to where you can just change and basically fly yourself around your hunting area and see exactly how does this generally lie on the landscape. Is it more north and east facing? The areas that I'm interested in? The areas that the elk should be in? Or is it more southerly or southwesterly or westerly facing? All right. That's going to go a long way to give you an indication of whether or not you've got anything to worry about or if, you, if you're going to detect any changes. All right. Number one. <clears throat> all right yeah so i covered those three so yeah because right now most of the pictures that i'm seeing we do not have these gargantuan ubiquitous snow fields that are choking out the high country what i have seen from a variety of posts from friends that have spent a lot of time in the mountains there's a bunch of snow in the timber but once you start getting up in the alpine it's patchy that actually, my friends, is a very good thing, okay? Save that for a second because we'll talk about how the elk move up the mountain. Let me take a look at my notes real quick, make sure I'm on. I didn't miss anything that I wanted to. Okay, no, that's good. All right, so let's talk about that. How do, how do elk move up the mountain? We're going to separate cows from ca- cows from bulls. I know that we talk about this in other videos, but we're going to just touch on it briefly here. Again, go back and revisit that Rethinking the Rut series because there's going to be some good information that you're going to get in there, all right? But in general, those animals are going to be down on their winter range. In the winter, they're going to be lower elevation. Oh, let me take let me take a real quick se- Okay, hold on a minute. I mentioned earlier that a lot of those places, like you know, there's a lot of places where the elk may spend their summers at 13,000 feet, but they spend their winter down at, you know, nine, eight, 7,000 feet. Well, by the same token, there are some interior mountain areas where the winter range is literally 10,000 feet. They are shrubby. They're, they're brushy, you know, bitter brush, um, service berry, oak brush. Now, oak brush is a little bit lower elevation than that. But typically, service berry, um, bitter brush, mountain mahogany, they're very steep slopes, south, southwest-facing slopes, but they're still at 10,000, 9,000, 10,000 feet, all right? That gets a bunch of snow, and that can hold a bunch of snow. They're eating shrubs and grasses on those steep slopes, or they're way out on, they can still be up on the tundra, up on those rocky outcroppings that just get blown off by the wind, there are some elk that will stay high. That's all they have available to them. Those elk are going to be a lot more susceptible to heavy snows than elk that have the ability to drop low. So keep that in mind as well. Again, wherever it is that you're hunting, 
Where is their winner range? I tell people all the time. Again, we're going to touch on this in an upcoming video regarding how to find elk. But one of the resources I tell people all the time, it's Hunt Data CD. <clears throat> I have no affiliation with the company. I just use their product from time to time, and I use it to help folks scout. All right. They have basically gone through the different Western states and synthesized the state data. Now, you can get some of this data through the, the uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, website. You just got to hunt and pack and pick for it. Hunt Data CD puts it all in one place for you and then puts it on your phone and it can interface with Google Earth. It's, they, they have a much better interface, in my opinion. So Hunt Data CD, <clears throat> you can get that. Take a look. You can get it for Hall of Colorado if you want. You can get it for just a GMU if you want. You look at it wherever it is you're hunting. You pull up their stuff. It'll show you summer range, summer concentration areas, traditional summer concentra concentration areas, traditional winter concentration areas, where their traditional calving areas are, what the traditional migration corridors are, etc. And it gives a whole bunch of different uh, miscellaneous information in there as well if the local biologist and the state has that data to share. All right. They've done a great job of, uh, at compiling all this and making it very user-friendly. Hunt Data CD, all one word. So, I will get on there and take a look, and I suggest you get on there and take a look. Okay, where is my winter range? Where is the, in my area that I typically hunt, if I don't know it all right off the top of my head, where is that area that I typically hunt? What elevation is it? And if it's a high elevate, you know, if it's generally high elevation, then I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to call the, the area biologists and the game wardens. And I'm going to say, hey, how bad of a winter was it? I mean, how, how bad did the, did the elk take a beating? Now, elk generally fare much better than deer. They're bigger. They can push through a lot more snow. They can reach a lot more different vegetation. And their bigger gut size, they're more, they're, their gut bacteria allow them to, to handle a lot more roughage. So they generally are a lot better off than deer. Now, in those really bad winters where the, where the high elevation winter ranges just get pounded, you typically will hear some chatter about should we be feeding deer, should we put up you know supplemental feed, blah, 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 blah. I personally did not hear much of that chatter this year. I didn't. I don't know of any big, you know, large-scale feeding operations conducted by the CPW because the winter severity was so bad that it was, it was, you know, elk and deer were dying. I didn't hear that. We did have a wet, prolonged winter. But I don't know how, quote-unquote, severe it was on winter range. Up in the high country, up in the high peaks, those avalanche shoots, it was one of the worst avalanche years on history, on record. Elk aren't wintering up there. Deer typically typically are not wintering up there. They're going to be much lower. Winter range is not the same as those high peaks when we're talking the dead of winter. Okay? So where is your winter range? Is it, in fact, a high elevation one where it may have been tough, tougher? And when I say tougher... Just like the previous video, talking about antler cycling, just like we talk about rethinking the rut, tough winters can impact body condition, which can snowball into other things. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But if your animal, so find out if you're in a high elevation area, find out, call the local biologist, 
game warden now. Don't wait and find out. Okay, how bad was last year's winter? How bad is it now? It, it, you know, did it was it a good winter on the winter range? Were the animals all right? Did it did the spring green up happen at, according to plan? I mean, yes, there may be a hell of a lot of snow in the dark timber, but on those south facing slopes and on some of those open slopes and open meadows, it has the you know the snow melted off and is it looking good? If you have the ability to go out there and, and hike it and scout it yourself, go for it. Okay, get out there and take a look. How does it look? All right, so. But they're going to be on their winter range in the winter. As spring comes, weather turns warmer, snow starts to melt, snow starts to recede. The lower elevations are going to be warmer than the higher elevations typically. So the lower elevations are going to melt off first, and that snow line is going to start shrinking up the side of the mountain. As that snow melts, the days get warmer, the ground warms up, all that moisture, warm ground, grasses and you know forbs and everything start to pop. And the animals will follow that green up, spring green up, all the way up the mountain as that snow recedes. All right? Elk do have traditional calving areas. They typically go to give birth, spend time by themselves, give it a week, 10 days. The calf finally gets big enough to where it can travel very freely and and effectively with its mother. Now cows start getting grouped back up. We're talking mid-May to mid-June when they're giving birth. Generally speaking, they're on their own or in small groups. And when I say small groups, I'm talking like a mother and a daughter, both giving birth to their respective calves for that year. Okay, Might be in close proximity to one another, but typically they're going to be on their own. As we start getting into... We start rolling into June. Okay, so they're going to start giving birth in mid... uh, mid-May, peak, end of May, beginning of June. As soon as you start rolling into the middle part of the June, that's where you start seeing those cow-calf groups start grouping back up, okay? By June, or excuse me, by the end of June and beginning of July, those elk are now, those cows are starting to group back up and they're now moving up the mountain. They're moving up the landscape. They're going to head toward, they're going to start trying to get to their traditional summer ranges. That may be straight up the mountain, it may be down this ridge, over this mountain, around this corner, back up, and tucked back up in this particular base. It, who knows where their, t- their traditional summer range is and how they get there. But they have a traditional route that they normally will take, and they have a traditional area that they generally like to be in. In those areas where the winter range is located in a spot where the calving area that or the the traditional calving area you know nearby is generally on maybe a north facing east facing type of an orientation on the mountain in the high elevation areas there could be just like there was in 2012 a situation where those cows cannot get to their traditional calving area it's buried in snow well, the calf ain't going to wait. If they've got good body condition down in the winter range and they've got a heavy calf, that calf's going to be born somewhere. Now, they may have to make do down closer to the winter range, but they're going to go somewhere. If the habitat is good enough for them to move in and get close to their traditional areas, that's, a, that's what they'll do. But there are some places in the past where 
they normally go here. They can't get there. They can't get across the river. They can't get whatever. There's a block. They can't get there. They go lateral and they find the next best group of habitat. And that may be on a different slope. It may be in a completely opposite direction or in a different drainage. All right? Now, if they make that whole scale move and make a whole scale because of the snowpack that is held in the timber in their traditional area. Sorry, I just got beat, just chewed on by mosquitoes walking the dog tonight. Ugh. If they have made that whole scale change because of snowpack in their traditional areas, you may find that they linger there and then try to go to the high country a different route. If the route from this new calving area up to the high country is clear in a new area, they've just flat may go to a new basin for their summer range. Now, this new basin may not be a quote-unquote new basin to them. It may be a secondary or tertiary basin that they use sometimes. But they know it's there. How many times have you heard me talk about when you're scouting, all right, you want to scout a primary area. Pick a primary area where you want to hunt. It could take three to five years or so to really figure it out and get things dialed into where you know what that area is ticking like and different, you know, different weather patterns and hunter pressure, et cetera, et cetera. But never stop, stop learning what's over that next ridge, what's over that next, you know, in this next valley, what's in this basin, what's over this saddle. Always check what's over, what, what's nearby. And where's a plan B? If this plan A area, somebody all of a sudden moves in and kicks all the elk out, okay, where are they going to go? That's what you want to find out. Because if the primary calving area in the spring is choked out with snow, it may be choked out for this group, but it is not choked out for that group over there. Both groups may have two diff distinct traditional calving areas, but they may end up on the same summer range. Which means if this calving area is choked out and the route from this calving area up to the mountain, up to the tippy top of the mountain is choked out with snow and they just can't get there, and this group goes to another basin, but this group over here has a normal calving and then they go up and around and button hook around and they can access their normal winter range or excuse me, summer range. You may find half or a smaller proportion of the elk up on the summer range. The other group is somewhere nearby. Now, I'm not saying that over time across the summer, oh, they find, oh, there they are and they find each other. But you can have whole scale movement to different areas on the map based on what that snow looks like in different habitats. Typically, again, if they are moving through north-facing, east-facing, dark timber, steep, thick type of timber habitats to access where they're wanting to go, long, prolonged snowpack, deep snowpack that stays on the mountain for extended periods of time can cause animals to move and go in different directions so what you find if you are traditionally hunting backcountry areas opening weekend of elk season in Colorado for archery and you're going to a particular high country basin because you know the elk are going to be there you might want to spend some time right now going out on a hike to see 
Can I go up this mountain? Can I get there? Is it free and clear? What is the tr- what do the tracks look like? Where are the elk? Can I find it? Can I get there? Number one, and if I can get there, and I get up there, are the elk there? Are the cows and calves and the group of cows and calves are they up there? Where are the cows and calves? Are they still in the same traditional area, or have they moved? If they moved, did they move just adjacently, just one or two basins over? Or instead of this side of the mountain, they're on the other side of the freaking mountain. They're, they're on the other side of the valley. They went, they're in a, again, it may be still part of their home range in the area that they frequent across a group of years. But they may be in a completely different area based on that snowpack. But that's not for everybody. Okay, like I just said, you may be on the other side of that same mountain and those elk give birth. They have a calving area on the other side of the mountain that's a south or southwest-facing slope. They access it just fine. The two of you, two hunters, meet up at the local bar or restaurant or sporting goods shop, and you're saying, oh, man, it's the best season I've ever had. The elk are all over the place, and it's great. And then meanwhile, the other hunter's like, goodness gracious, this sucks. I can't find an elk. I don't know what the hell about. And you're, and you're literally talking about the same elk herd, but you're just talking about two, just, two distinct areas up on the mountain that have been impacted differently. All right, you've got at this type of year, this time type of season, type of year and time of year, you need to get out there and verify. For those of you that are hunting those high elevation areas where you have a lot of movement from low winter range to high summer range, okay? That hunt data CD pack, that little uh, product, that that's awesome. It just puts all the information in one place, makes it pretty quick and simple to see where the traditional areas are um, if you don't know what the movement and what the what the pattern and and, uh, movement cycle is on your in in and around your area and winters like the and and seasons like this um, are exactly why I say always plan have a plan a area where you're going to hunt and then pick a completely different habitat type elevation region in the state for a plan B. So that way, if all of a sudden you go into camp on your plan A and there's just nothing there, you can go to a different habitat type, different elevation, different region of the state and encounter a different weather pattern, weather cycle, mountain orientation, whatever. And you can have maybe a completely different experience. One area is completely dead. One area is complete is just absolutely on fire or vice versa. All right. Not all areas of the state are the same. Okay, just understand that a lot of people are complaining. You know, oh man, there's just so much snow, so much snow, so much snow. It's gonna, oh, it's gonna cause problems. It's not gonna cause problems for everybody, and and some people may not even detect a problem if a problem even exists. Okay, and the reason why, again, let me let me go back to why I say if the problem even exists. Okay, let's say the snow has been delayed, and it's staying on the landscape longer. Many of our mountain ranges are very, very diverse. So maybe this traditional calving area is choked out with snow. But right next door, right up and over top of this little finger ridge that's just right next, just you know, a mile or two away, it's kind of the same habitat. 
Maybe not as good as the traditional calving area, but it's still the same habitat. Aspen mix, aspen pine, blowdowns. It's still because we had so much water this year, this area that is generally maybe a little too dry and the cows don't give birth there because there's just not as not there's just not the feed and water generally in this area that there is in their primary area. Well, if their primary area is buried in snow, but we've still got so much snowpack and snow melt and runoff and everything else that all of a sudden now this marginal area has water, has food, and it has a similar type of juxtaposition of cover and sanctuary and movement and feed and water and all the other things. Well, maybe all they need to do is just shift around the side of the mountain, temporarily utilize a new area, and then even if we've got these just gargantuanly large blocks of snow on the landscape, there's going to be these little ridges and these little fingers that maybe the wind blew it off or the sun is just, you know, maybe it's a little south, you know, exposed slope to where it acts as a land bridge where they can just walk right up that ridge face, that ridge peak, and they can just thread the needle through this gargantuan snow field. And then they get up on top of the Alpine that's been all blown off all winter it melted off up on top where it's exposed to the, the sun. The timber down below is choked with snow, but they are able to find their way up through that snow, that transition area, up to the better feed area. Well, okay, here we are. Yes, your area might generally be choked out with snow, but if the elk have a good plan B and where they calve, and still could find their way up to their normal summer range, you may not detect a, a, a change at all. Nothing may change. This is why scouting in these type of years is so crucial. Not all, not, all areas are not the same. Even in the high country. You guys that are in gals that are hunting in the mid-elevations and lower elevations, my guess is you're not even going to detect any issues whatsoever the only thing that you may detect is there's a lot more moisture on the landscape, a lot more water, a lot more feed, all right, which is a good thing, all right? So, let's see. <laughs> and then with bulls, okay, we've in other videos I've talked about this. Your cow calf groups, okay. So your cows are going to go off when they get when when they want to go give birth. They're going to leave the winter range. They're going to start pioneering out towards their traditional calving areas. They're going to scout it out and try to find a safe area. They're going to come back to their winter range stage until they get ready, and all of a sudden they realize, ooh, it's coming. I better move. They will go and head towards their their calving areas. But oftentimes they're going to do it singly. They're going to disappear in the landscape and they're going to go off by themselves. They give birth. Now, take a step back. We know that there's young bulls usually in with those cow-calf groups in the winter. As those cows matriculate and disappear in, into the timber, those young bulls oftentimes are going to be like, well, I don't know where the heck everybody wants where everybody went well we're just going to follow the snow line and we're going to follow that follow that green up and so you'll have these bachelor group of bulls just slowly working their way sometimes not even slowly you'll see them pioneer and just literally post hole across some of these big snow fields through the timber just to get up into the high country 
And oftentimes you can see these bachelor group of younger age class bulls up in the high country before the cows get there. Cows are going to spend a week to 10 days on their own, roughly on their own, or in small, tiny ones, twos, threes types of groups while the calves are small. Once those calves get about a week to 10 days old and they can travel, that's when those cows start grouping back up and they're moving up the mountain with the calves in tow. That's when they get up there to summer range and bingo, now the young bulls are there and the young bulls get back. They will come back into that cow-calf group because they like having that safety blanket of the cows. All right? Mature bulls, however, they're going to be off on their own in the winter anyway. And they're going to be doing their own thing in the spring anyway. And they're going to head to their own summer summer range anyway. Same thing goes for the bulls. If their winter range is, well, the area between their winter range and their traditional summer range is absolutely just choked out with snow and they cannot get through it. They're going to go somewhere else. That you know, Where that somewhere else may be an issue if you're targeting a certain bull. But by and large, if a cow-calf group is in a traditional summer area, no matter where that bull, if, if a bull, so we've got cow-calf group A, Bull A. And then we have cow-calf group B somewhere else, adjacent. If Bull A typically makes a move, pre-rut move, from his traditional summer area and moves to cow-calf group A, typically, if he can be in his summer range or even just adjacent somewhere in the same general home range vicinity region of that cow-calf group A, it is highly likely he's just going to still make his way over to cow-calf group A. He may have to make another mile trip. He may have to get up over another ridge or two, but generally speaking, he's going to work his way over there over time. Now, he may go, if it's completely in a different place, and he knows about cow-calf group B, he may pick up and go to cow-calf group B. He absolutely may. Again, usually that's only an issue if you're targeting a specific bull. Generally speaking, if you just want to go up there and hunt elk in the fall, you just need to figure out where the cow-calf groups are because the, uh, there's going to be bulls that are going to figure out where they are. The bulls are going to make their, make their move to wherever those cow-calf groups are. All right? So do your scouting to find those cow-calf groups now. All right? Now, the good thing about, um, well, it's a good segue based off what I just said. Now, the good thing about having a lot of snow scattered across the landscape, whether we're talking low, mid, or high elevation, and especially having snow that just lingers and it's just a slow runoff. Okay, so... In some years, you may have a normal snowpack year. But as spring comes, all of a sudden we get spring rains and you get these massive thunder showers or rainstorms that come in and just torrential rain rainstorms or just prolonged rain 
Well, when it rains on snow, it's going to melt the snow. And then all of a sudden, you've got all that rain and all that snow melt, snowpack that melts off. It melts off all at once, and it just comes rushing down the side of the mountain. The rivers just go crazy. They swell. They go over, over their banks. You've got flooding issues. You've got major runoff issues. There's so much water coming off that mountain so fast that a lot of it doesn't even have a chance to really, truly sink in. It just comes off the mountain, down the river, and gone. That can have short-term, very significant impacts on the short-term. But it also can have long-term impacts on it didn't benefit the landscape as much as maybe a prolonged, drawn-out spring thaw, especially when you're in one of these years where you have so much snow. So if you got 300% snowpack, but then you you just kept, you keep lingering that snowpack out over... April, May, June, into July. What does that do? Well, what you end up with is this patchiness of snow that's just slowly melting. Your runoff is extended over a long period of time. That extended runoff and that those patchwork of snow, as those snow fields recede, the areas around them are going to be coming up in new fresh vegetative growth typically the growth that is high in protein and high in nutrients you've got this mosaic of patchwork across the landscape of awesome food well that can assist especially bulls in movement and where the maximizing body condition maximizing antler quality maximizing the body condition of cows and how much milk they're producing, growing big fat calves, prolonged snow melt prolongs how much cool season vegetative growth occurs. That cool season vegetative growth oftentimes has the highest initial nutrient load and it's phenomenal for regaining body condition we talked about that in the previous video the issues with with body condition okay and we talk about it in rethinking the rut we'll touch on the rut here in a second but from a distribution standpoint you can literally see elk have the ability to just spread out and go patchy across the landscape okay so even though they may still be able to access their traditional summer range, you still may find them loosely scattered across the landscape in small patchworks because the, for the forage quality is so high in so many places, they can go everywhere. Especially true for the fall. So they may go up to the same summer range that they normally do. But come September, the forage quality across the entire mountain is so good that literally in years like this you can find elk scattered literally everywhere on the mountain some people that's a good thing because you got bulls scattered and you can run and gun and you can go from bull to bull to group to group to group to group and you've got elk scattered other people hate it because the elk are scattered and if they're not talking good luck finding them Rather than a big grouped up ball of elk that you can go, oh, there they are. You may have three cows, a couple calves, and a bull. And, oh, there's four cows and one bull. There's a bull and a cow. And they're not saying anything, but they're scattered across the landscape. 
Some people love it. Some people hate it. It all depends on what the bugling is doing. All right? Generally speaking. But prolonged snowmelt like this traditionally prolongs how much cool season growth of vegetation that you have on the landscape there can be, and it usually is a good thing. Usually is a good thing. There are going to be some lower elevation areas that are going to have your warm season grasses that are going to do just fine because there's so much moisture still coming down the mountain. Oftentimes, that vegetation is going to do very well as very well as well, and that's the feed that they're going to use later in the fall into the winter. But the higher elevation stuff is typically going to be cool season stuff. The fescues, the broadleaf annuals, like the weeds and dandelions and some of the flowers and all that type of stuff. It can produce the situation where there's such high quality forage across that landscape, especially up in Alpine, that those animals can stay high, longer, and more scattered across the landscape. Just keep that in mind. Now, if all of a sudden July turns hot, August turns hot, and they don't get a stick of rain from any thunderstorms, well, you can see the alpine start to dry out, and that's when those elk will start dropping off that mountain Again, though, if they drop off that mountain and there's patchwork of snow still in the timber and you've got these cool little pockets of moist and you've got grasses, they can drop off that mountain, scatter across the landscape and disappear in there and be doing just fine. So scouting for you people that are going to be hunting in the backcountry, high elevation, scouting is going to be key for you this year because you're going to be able to find elk pretty much anywhere you look, I think. Or could, could, no, no, poor, poor phrasing. There could be elk scattered all across that landscape, all right? They might be in their traditional areas where you normally find them, or they may be scattered. It's going to be up to you to figure out what's going on based on what is happening in the timber and those snow fields and those patches and those wet marshy areas and and where the, the forage is growing over an extended length of time, okay? All right. All right, talked about that. So, yeah, like 2011, 2012. So, like, for instance, my high country camp area, the snowpack was so deep into August. There was no food up there. And so they literally packed up and went to a completely different area on the map. They were on a completely different chunk of the mountain come September. I mean, we didn't see any mule deer and only saw a handful of elk. Everything else was hell and gone away from there because they had to move to a different area and in 2011 2012 well the, the spring of 2012 the snow melt runoff in some areas was what i described it just catastrophically came down the mountain and the rivers were running so heavy that there were some landowners that said that you know elk summer over here migration route comes down they cross the river and they go and winter over on farmers fields and, and ranch lands across the river the river was raging so hard that they could never go back across that river. They just went up in the foothills on the other side of the valley, gave birth there, and then walked up the side of the mountain. They literally completely changed sides of valleys on where they spent that fall. <clears throat> now, what they did, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, whether they went back to that second area the following year or they went back to their original area the next year, I don't know. But sometimes when that runoff comes down so hard and fast, it can block major migration routes, and those elk will completely change this, the, the entire mountain range and valley structure that they normally use. All right. 
It does not sound like this year is one of those years. It doesn't seem like our rivers are rocking that hard. It seems like our snowmelt is patchy and it's prolonged, which is allowing those animals to matriculate up the side of that mountain, up those mountains. Effectively, they just may be a little scattered a little bit more. So get out there and scout and find out. <clears throat> All right. So how does it affect the rut? Well, just like the previous discussion we were talking about antler production, the same thing goes with the cows. Again, rethinking the rut, everything is based off of the cows, what's happening with the cows. All right. Now, yes, bulls are in there as well as far as their influence. Namely, when do they shed their velvet? When do they make that pre-rut move? Are they are are they adjacent to those um, cows and calves during the summer for or or in the early part of the fall? Or uh, let me let me rephrase that: not early part of the fall. Are they in close proximity proximity to those cows in late July and early August, or are they in close proximity to those cows mid to late late mid to late August? So, rethinking the rut. The proximity of mature bulls can actually cause elk cows to cycle in early in some cases. Well, if you're if you're in an area where there's so much snowpack in the timber and there still is so much snowpack in those traditional feeding areas, summer range areas, where it has artificially concentrated those elk into similar areas, meaning bulls, mature bulls, and cow-calf groups, it's kind of forced them into close proximity with one another in feeding into the same areas. Okay. Are those bulls in with those those cows, those mature bulls in with those cows? Do they drop their velvet a little early? Do they have influence over what's going on in there and, and the perception that the cows have? Do we are we running into a silent heat sort of scenario, and are we having cows being psychologically, physiologically affected by having those bulls in that group? Okay. Keep in mind those principles in in rethinking the rut. Are we going to have cows cycling maybe a little early? All things being equal, again, body condition of the cows, their ability to reach nine percent body fat or more, dictates whether or not. They're going to stay pregnant and give birth to a nice heavyweight, you know, a a healthy, heavy calf, all right? And is their ability to maintain, you know, their nutrition in that spring and in the summer sufficient to give them all the the needs that they have for their body condition and all the needs that they need for lactation to put that extra energy into their calves? Bulls are throwing their extra energy into antlers. Cows are throwing their extra energy into the calves, all right? Well... If it is, if it was the type of winter where the say there it's a high elevation winter range, and that winter range was absolutely buried to the neck to their necks in snow, and all they had was to chew on some twigs and stuff, you know, and and their body condition tanked. Well, you got to ask yourself, and this is a question for the CPW: How hard was the winter? How severe was it? How well did the elk come out of it? 
if it was hard, if the biologists say, yeah, it was, it was a stressful winter, but you know, that, you know, most of the, most of the cows survived. We, we lost some, you know, yearlings, but most of the cows survived. Okay. Well, that's fine that most of the cows survived. You need to get your butt up on the mountain with a, behind a uh, set of binoculars or ask the biologist in case they have been up there or the game warden. How many calves per hundred cows do we have? How many calves are in that group? Is it a quote unquote normal year? I don't, and, and every year, every, excuse me, not every year, every area is different. Back when I was working on the elk, upper, upper Eagle River elk study, if I remember correctly, I think we were sitting at 80 calves per 100 cows in some areas. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It was high. It was stupidly high. That's why back then they opened up so many cow tags in so many of those areas. They just couldn't shoot enough cows. We had over 300,000 head of cow or 300,000 head of elk in Colorado, and the, the agency wanted to knock that population back because we just had too many elk. The productivity was incredible. Now, some areas maybe have 40 cows or 40 calves per 100 cows. Maybe it's 30, maybe it's 50, 60, whatever. Your area is going to be your area. You need to talk to biologists to find out. But is this a normal year or are they low? Do we have cows that if if that winter range, the severity of this winter because of the, the amount of snow and the length of of time that if they were trapped on that winter range, if their body condition was such that they had to abort some calves, or maybe they gave birth to a low body weight calf and it, and it perished, whatever. And especially if we've got predation issues. Okay, that that's another compound to this whole discussion too. What is it this year? Is it a normal calf year or is it a low calf year? Did did some of those cows lose their calf? That, again, can affect whether or not a cow is going to cycle normally, regardless of whether, you know, if she achieves that percent body fat in the fall. Is she going to cycle normally, or could she possibly cycle in a little early because she lost her calf? Or <clears throat> maybe, and typically this, I, I, I guess I, I shouldn't say that because we're situated. We, you could be in a situation where that cow was significantly malnourished in the winter. She was able to give birth to a, a, a low body weight calf, but yet now with all the spring green up and all the production and everything, she's been able to get her body condition up, and maybe now she is nursing a calf well into September. As long as she's got the 9% body fat, she's still going to cycle, most likely going to cycle in her, her ester cycle normally. Um, but if that calf is... You know, maybe moisture dries up and she's just kind of flirting around that 7 or 8% body fat. So she's eh, not quite or whatever, but she's still nursing that calf and she's trying to, you know, give as much resources to that, to that calf as possible. Okay, well, if she's going into the fall in a low body weight, okay, there we go. That's the only thing that's going to push it back, really. All right. Most of the time when you've got a, a snowpack and a snow water equivalent and this much moisture on the landscape, you're not dealing with cows going into the season in a in malnourished condition. You're going you're gonna have cows that are in very plump, happy, 10-12% body fat, or you know, they're they're gonna be just fine. They're gonna cycle at least normally. Okay? The issue is whether or not you're gonna find the situation that's gonna pull them in maybe a little bit early. All right. So, let's see. Body condition. Yes. 
Most of them, most, oh, and that's the other thing too, to keep in mind. If you looked at how the forage forage production was and the winter range potential was going into last winter, there was a lot of food on the landscape. A lot of those elk went into the winter fat and happy, and there was a lot of of, um, forage available on the winter range before the snows started. There was plenty of food. So most of the elk came through, in my opinion, based on what I've seen and heard, most across the state, most elk went through winter in just great form. All right? So, and that's the other thing, too, is the snow, it just kind of seemed to be steady. It wasn't like one big snowstorm just trapped everybody. It just slowly progressed through the winter, storm, 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 storm. But it started early enough, and it just, it, it was, I think, Based on what I've heard and what I've seen, most elk made it to their winter ranges without much trouble whatsoever. Yeah, predators notwithstanding. If if we're talking about a situation where the snow has cows and calves concentrated especially those cows if if the snow has the calving concentrated in a smaller area than normal you could have excessive predation from bears and coyotes and lions that are going to be just you know they're just they're going to be they're going to know those they're just going to be circling like sharks and if the snowpack was such in and around the area of calving for your elk that you're dealing with if it artificially increased the density and there's a lot of predators in the area that may end up lending itself to higher rates of calf mortality again it's going to be up to you to either follow up with the the cpw and find out if they have that information or you putting some boot leather to the ground and going up there sitting behind glass and, and looking and seeing just how many calves per 100 cows you see and is that different from previous years or from what the CPW calls as average? Let me see here. What else? Yeah, body condition should be great through the winter. It should be great right now. They came out of the winter all right, and we've got plenty of forage out there that they should be. They should have made up their body condition. If it was if it was low, they should have been able to make it up just fine. Hmm talked about whether or not we've got mature bulls concentrated in close to those cow calf areas again if if you got so much snow that it's forcing elk into a smaller range for summer you could artificially have those mature bulls in and around those cow calf groups that could end up affecting some of those cows again get up there and scout and, and put some glass on the mountain and, and see where the cow calf groups are and then are you seeing big mature bulls again and i'm not talking antler quality okay we talked about that antler production but let me let me just really hit on that I'm not talking about antler quality you can have a young younger age class bull that has a great set of antlers all right um look at the body look at the body characteristics big i mean a mature bull is markedly larger than a cow. So if you see a bull 
that's kind of about the same size as the mature cows out there, maybe a little bit bigger than the mature cows out there, but he's got a, just a, a just a beautiful rack. He's probably a three and a half year old bull, maybe a four year old bull that's just having a banner antler production year. And this is this could absolutely be one of those banner elk antler production years. Okay, so you may have a three and a half year old bull that's a legit six by six, or a four year old bull that's an absolute legit six by six. Okay, antler quality, yes, goes a long way. But if a if a cow can look at a four year old with a awesome rack but there's an eight-year-old with an even i mean he's just an eight-year-old big honking body with a freaking massive rack she's going to him all right all things being equal she's probably going to choose him you're going to be able to see that mature you're going to see the maturity difference a mature bull is going to be a third to a half again larger than a, the cow. You're going to see him out there. Big old pot gut. Big old antlers. Big body. Big blocky head. All right? Pay attention to the body characteristics as well as the antlers. Don't focus just on the antlers. We all, we all like looking at the antlers. Look at the body characteristics. Are there mature bulls in with those cows? Not just the younger, you know, younger age class. Oh, and I mentioned this in the previous video, but let me touch on it again here. Because of because mature bulls can grow their antlers earlier, it's roughly a fixed amount of time that they're going to be growing them. If they went into the winter in good kitten shape, they didn't lose too much body condition by early spring. They were able to recover that and throw all their gear into all their extra food and, and nutrients into antler production. They absolutely could be geared up to drop velvet mid to late July and be walking around hard horned end of July, 1st of August. Okay. Again, they go hard horned, even if they weren't forced into a small geographic area for their summer range, they go hard horned and they make their pre-rut move early. Again, now here we are, beginning of October, or October, I'm getting tired, beginning of August, here we have mature bulls in with the cows a month and a half, a month or month and a half before normal cows start cycle cycling you may see it start pulling some of that reproductive activity in early all right so it's to wrap up realistically i think most cows are going to be going into this fall with adequate body condition so they should be cycling normally, but there are several factors that could lend themselves to predispose some cows into cycling maybe early. If the winter range, or excuse me, yeah, if the snowpack coming out of the winter range artificially forced more cows to calve in smaller areas and maybe they put themselves a little bit more risk to predation, and they lost some calves, maybe we'll have some cows cycling in a little early. 
if we have bulls that were forced into summer ranges a little closer to the cows and calves or on the same summer ranges as the cows and calves, their presence could encourage cows to cycle in a little earlier, which means, quite honestly, you could see bust up where you could see them, the summer range, the cow-calf groups bust up early. You may see some of that, again, because of the forage quality across that landscape. They, okay, you got the situation where bulls are with cows prematurely because of the snowpack situation, or you've got such good antler production, antler growth, that they go hard-horned a little early. They go hard-horned a little, a little early. They make their pre-rut move to the cows a little early. They spend two, three weeks with the cows, and the cows are like, yeah, let's head out of here because this, the forage is so good. You may find them scattered across the landscape. They may Those cows may end up, again, you got a bull with them in a prolonged scenario, and if you've got cows that are tight-knit and they're, and they're synchronized, all that stuff plays together. But if those cows are bonded with that bull early you've got a situation where they may be coming in estrus a little early but now you actually could have them move out of their traditional summer rains summer ranges early and scatter across that landscape and just vanish okay so i think if you are hunting the high country in and around timberline and above you need to do some scouting you need to do some scouting. If you are hunting those mid-elevations, I really don't think you've got much to worry about. I think you're going to see kind of a quote-unquote normal year. Same with the bulk of you that are going to be hunting some of the lower elevation issue uh, areas. The only issue is in some of those areas is in the lower elevation areas, what does the later part of the summer look like? We're definitely going to have a lot of food going into the summer. And we're going to have really good body condition going into the summer. The question is, is how does the summer end up? Do we have those monsoon rains coming through and dumping and, and continuing the quality of growth all the way into fall? Or do we all of a sudden dry up, burn up, have fire danger, and then it, get, it starts getting a little nutritionally stressful uh, end of August into, into the beginning of September? We'll see. So far, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, but we just got to monitor that. So you low and medium elevation areas i don't think you got much to worry about there's gonna be plenty of forage plenty of body condition it's really you folks that are going to hunt the high the upper ends of the high country that i think you need to do some scouting and to investigate and really suss out what's going on in your area focus on finding the cow calf groups are they are they grouped up like they normally are in your if you're the type of person that hunts the same same place every year and you have a a, a a baseline of what you normally see in the summer is it the same or does it look like the elk are scattered is it the same or does it look like the you have fewer calves than normal by all means talk to the biologist and the game warden give them a call maybe they've done some summer flights even if they've been doing other stuff up there maybe they've been up there and they've gotten a look and they can get a handle on things maybe they can say hey oh yeah 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 the, the same yeah the, all you know you may go up in in your basin and not find the elk that you were looking for get worried and then you talk to the biologist and he goes oh no 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 they they're just they're they're up and over the mountain on on this basin over here and oh yeah 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 no there's just a pile of calves over there everything looks good okay fine they're just they just moved a little bit all you need to do is either wait or 
making a, sl- a slight adjustment on your, you know, for yourself with elk camp if you're going early. But if you're going mid to late September, a lot of those animals are going to be moving down the mountain to their traditional areas anyway. So maybe changes in summer and early fall are moot as far as you're concerned. Because if you hunt middle of September, end of September, those elk are going to be coming back down the mountain on their transition areas anyway, likely, likely, to where you may not be impacted by it. Little caveat, though, if we maintain a rainy summer, the forage quality can stay extremely high in the high country, meaning in some areas where the high country in past years has started to dry up and the forage quality has been decreased and the elk have moved off the high country and dropped down into the timber to access better quality food. This year, if the moisture cycle maintains or we still have that snow, that patchy snowpack up there, you may find out that the, the forage quality up high stays of high quality longer and you may find some elk staying high longer into September than normal. So if you are the type of person that hunts mid to late September and you're not finding elk in those transition areas, do not hesitate to climb to the top of the mountain because you may find those elk are still up on their summer ranges or scattered in that kind of you know, above tree line, Krumholtz area, they're just scattered across the landscape in a higher elevated, you know, elevation band um, than maybe what you're traditionally used to just because there's such good forage up there still. So anyway, I really don't know if I can swing this bat and beat this dead horse anymore. So I think I'm going to end it. If you have questions, if I missed something, if I forgot something, uh chime in jump on the forums let me know send me a message text me what i or you know instagram message me facebook message me send me an email put it on the forums put it on the forums so everybody else can take a look and chime in all right because it'd be very good for you guys and gals that are on the forums to compare notes not i'm hunting on this drainage and blah blah you know don't give people their gps coordinates okay or your gps coordinate but okay my drainage is at such and such, you know, I'm hunting at such and such elevation and my area is generally such and such of a, you know, it's a south or a west face or a north facing or a east face, you know, this, this is the, the orientation that this mountain lays in. And this winter we had three 300% snowpack in this basin, you know, this general dirt, you know, drainage. Here's what I'm seeing. Someone else may, okay, well, I'm on the other side of a, of a similar situation. We had the same 300%. But I'm not seeing that. Compare notes. You don't have to give your location, but you can compare your notes that that you're getting in the summer, and someone else can compare their notes. And man, it may it may help. It just may be one of those exercises in curiosity. I don't know, but post it on the forum. Let people know. You know, let us know what are, what are you seeing out there. I am gonna try to make it to Colorado this year to get out there in the high country and do some filming. I just don't know if it's gonna happen yet. Uh, like I mentioned before, Kelly is literally getting ready to leave tomorrow morning. She's headed out for several weeks. Uh, she's going to be gone. She's taking the big camera, and she's going to try to do some videoing as well, which, man, I'm glad I just remembered that because I need to get that stinking camera packed up for her. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm going to try to get out there and see what I can see and take some notes on what I can see, and I'll share that with you. But, uh, yeah, for those people that are that are out there, they're going to hunt the backcountry. 
hunt those higher elevations. Get out there, put some boot leather to the ground, make some phone calls, talk to some people that know, talk to your buddies that, that may be hiking in similar terrain or whatnot, and uh, do your due diligence of scouting because, yes, I think we could see some changes in distribution, possibly in certain areas and drainages. And depending on what happened earlier this spring with calving and depending on what happens with the bulls, we may be in a situation where you could end up in a situation where some cows might, might cycle early and you might be in a situation where some groups of elk might, might bust up early, make that pre-rut move early and vanish into some different areas on the landscape a little bit earlier than what you're normally used to. So, all right, hope that helps. I'm going to end it. Uh, again, if you got any questions, fire away. But thank you for joining on with or following along with this one. I hope I didn't ramble too badly. And, um, yeah, and text, until next time, thank you. Talk to you soon.